0: Outside the Box Hello and welcome to March is Outside the Box We're a little bit later this month, a week later in fact because last week we released a load of International Women's Day podcasts and we thought this might get missed in the joy of all of those great interviews with women but good news only three weeks to wait for the next one theoretically I am joined by who goes first Mickey and Jen hello and we're going to be talking about some stuff that we have watched on the telly you've probably noticed things are starting to get a bit thin on the ground Netflix is making a big fanfare over quite a lot of series that are actually have been on there for absolutely ages. It's all the foreign language ones in the carousel. I actually would be interested to see if anyone's doing a study on how our TV viewing habits have changed over this, simply and purely because if you have wanted to watch loads of TV, you have had to look a bit further afield from the things that you usually do. I hope that we've come out of this as a nation that watches more subtitled telly. And on that note, Mickey, I wanted to say that I watched The Investigation, which you reviewed last time. And I think you were absolutely correct. I think it's completely brilliant. And I think it's probably the best Scandi drama that we've had over here yet.
1: Thanks very much. Yeah, it's excellent, isn't it? I'm glad you watched
0: it. And yeah. uh, I, can't, I can't take credit for it, but I'm going <laughs> to. I was surprised how exciting watching people just sit looking at the sea for ages was waiting for a dog to bark. Who would have thought that was so (laughs) exciting? And yet it found real tension and drama in moments that were really, really ordinary. And I thought that was very clever.
1: Yeah. And I do think it is testament to the brilliance of that particular show, but also maybe to the times in that we're living in times where on my birthday, I got to go to the dentist and have a takeaway coffee in the rain. And it was genuinely thrilling. Yes. (laughs) That's where we are now.
0: Yeah. Although I will add that my mum asked me if I'd watched it. And I said I had, and I was curious that she'd watched it. But this is kind of what I'm saying. My mum doesn't usually watch subtitled dramas because, you know, she gets up and does other things and potters and and all of that. But she had watched it. And the first thing she said to me was, wasn't it great that they didn't use his name at all, which is the murderer's name in it, not even at the end. The things came up to say what had happened. So, yeah, I mean, it's brought Mary round to Scandinavian drama and a way of thinking
2: that dramas don't have to be a certain way. So, hooray. Jen. Can I just shit all over that and say that I downloaded the first episode ready to watch it and then I remembered it had subtitles and I went uh, I'll come back to this later <laughs> too but tired. I don't think
1: you're in a space to read television Jen
2: you've yeah, got no, a I'm, tiny child I did think I was I was too tired for it so yeah I'm sure lots of other yeah. people will have
0: I think it's still on the
2: iPlayer so yes
0: I'd add a recommend to that so let's talk about some stuff that we have been watching I thought it'd be great to start with Unforgotten because we've all three of us been watching it yes yes okay yes. nodding now i am up to episode four what stage are you guys at yeah i'm up to date with whatever's been screened yeah. i have seen it and me i think when this gets released episode four will be so we can talk about it in a kind of spoilery way without worrying we don't know what's going to happen in it so for those of you who don't know Unforgotten season four currently on ITV, inexplicably, has found its home on ITV. It is ITV's best drama, starring Nicola Walker as DCI Cassie Stewart. Now, it has a different mystery. Every series, a self-contained mystery. So if you're wondering, can I just leap in now? From the point of view of the individual cases that are being done, the answer is absolutely yes. From the point of view of the wider context of the series, I don't know why you would because I don't know how Cassie Stewart would actually come across if you leapt in at series four, and that's actually something that I thought we could talk about here. Mm. Plus, why would you? Because there is just a, a, a bevy of tremendous actors doing tremendous stuff in all the other series. Mark Bonner was fantastic in this. Tom Courtney. Sir Tom Courtney was fantastic in the first one. Alex Jennings, just great, great people doing great, great stuff. Also, Sanjeev Bhaskar being brilliant in all of the series. Absolutely. This mystery that we're looking at, they have discovered a headless corpse. It's a little bit like series three in as much as the four suspects that they're looking at were a group and know each other and were actually a gang at some point. And it's a bit like series two, as in there's maybe some suggestion that while we're absolutely not victim-blaming at all, but that the victim may have had an existing relationship with these people. Um, And obviously you won't know if you haven't watched Series 2, but it's why you should, that this is why this might set something off in Cassie. Our main new characters, played by Susan Lynch, Andy Nyman, Liz White and Falda Sharma, plus there's Lucy Speed and Sheila Hancock for good measure. So that's a really great lineup. Before we actually talk about the mystery, I wanted to go back to that point about how you might not understand Cassie. Because the thing I currently find most interesting in this whole series is this plot line about what is going to happen to her dad's share of the house. And I think it's a really great example of how brilliant Nicola Walker is and how well this storyline is constructed that although I understand the argument being put forward by her dad and having been accepted by her children now, that it appears that they have the moral high ground. Her feeling that this just isn't fair and that this is something that's being taken from her children is so powerful in her. That I'm kind of on her side, even though I can see the other side of it. I watched episodes three and four on Tuesday
1: night and I said, even though I think Cassie is handling it really badly, I think she's got a really valid point. Yes. But the fact is she's handling everything really badly at the moment.
0: Yeah. And I think if you jumped in now, you just wouldn't understand what's got her to that point in her feeling about her relationship with her dad and also about the sense of what is justice and what isn't justice. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the reason Cassie is
1: such a great character throughout these series and her character just develops and develops and Nicola Walker is just chef's kiss at the really subtle stuff that builds your relationship with her character is she's always so warm when she's dealing with suspects, when she's dealing with friends and family of victims, when she's dealing with her staff, she's always like, well done team, you're doing great work. And because of stuff that has happened in Series 1, 2 and 3 that has culminated in her being just angry all of the time, at and that everyone. has gone. So that warmth has gone. And it is, it's big. It's a big
0: absence. She looks quite hollow, doesn't she? Mm.
2: Can I just say at this point that I have actually only seen Series 3 and 4? Okay. So I have missed some of... So I do remember bits of it from Series 3... But I have also missed some of the things that led her to where she is now. But I've seen enough from those two series to know that she's not just, you know, a bit of an arse.
1: She's not very well. That's the thing. She's aware that she's not well. And and part of series four is she shouldn't actually be back in the office, but her hand has been forced.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and. The other thing that, of course, is interesting, I think, in this series is her relationship with Sonny has always been rock-solid despite some misunderstanding between them at some point, I think, in the second series, has always been totally rock-solid. And she specifically asks him to keep an eye on her and says, ''Can you just check my thinking? Because I am so fucking angry. Who knows what's driving my decisions?'' Which is interesting. But also, the thing that's happening with the character played by Faldat Sharma, who is called Ram in it, who is also a British-Pakistani, and has... Because it's difficult to say because we don't know where we're going with this character. We don't quite see the full picture yet. So there's some suggestion that he likes to play the race card, and I'm putting that in quotes. But there's also every possibility that he has been constantly accused of things and put in positions and treated badly. And how he interacts with Sonny and how they have that strange interaction where he basically accused Nicola Walker of being racist, although he says, I'm going to assume what you're saying doesn't come from the same 90% of, like, crap I put up with. Nonetheless, the allegation is there and it sort of lies underneath and I kind of wonder how that's going to feed into her relationship with Sonny. It's almost like he's awakening something
1: in Sonny, maybe. Yes. But we don't know where that's going to go.
2: Do you think I got? I get the impression that Sonny is quite dismissive of the "quote unquote" race card that he's allegedly. He playing. is, but
0: when somebody else, when a white
2: guy suggests that he yes. plays
0: the race card, commonly he shuts that conversation down really quickly.
2: I think we. I I think my prediction. I think we're going to find it's a bit of both. I think. Yeah, that he, I mean, I'm sure. Is absolutely playing the system but he probably has also put up with like a fuck ton of shit
1: yeah and and that is horrific and shouldn't happen and at the same time these these run parallel our souls yeah. come in a variety of colors uh so
0: it's just he's clearly a bellend you yeah. know just in oh the way absolutely it, it, and what i'm kind are. of i tell you what else i'm quite interested by this story about how his wife is expecting a baby that they suspect may have Down syndrome and whether or not to continue with that pregnancy. This is an explanation for not YouTube, obviously, because you've been watching it. And at the same time, Andy Nyman's character has a disabled child. Andy Nyman and Lucy Speed's character has a disabled child. And the life that they have with him are shown as being very full and very happy and all of those things. Although Lucy Speed got a great scene this week when she got to say some of the stuff that perhaps she feels it would be inappropriate to say. But it's interesting because Ram is the character that wants them to have that baby, right? And I don't know whether that's an attempt to portray him as a nice guy because my gut reaction was, well, that's all right for you to say, mate. You spend a lot of time working and a lot of time having spliffs with your brother at his shop. When are you actually going to be there to do the hands-on graft that this baby needs?
1: That conversation in the car where he is the one saying, I always thought, he's like i thought this is what i wanted and like i've just been thinking about it and actually what what if something happens to me and you have to do it all on your own and that's because he can feel that the law is maybe catching up with him but it did make me laugh that he's shown this understanding around this topic which we've not seen represented in any other aspects of his character but it still does not occur to him to go oh shit what if something happens to you and i'm left with it all because that has clearly yeah. not even flickered on
2: his radar yeah yeah Jen, we sorry. We going to say something? No, sorry. I was looking outside because a really, really noisy helicopter was. Chick got distracted overhead. by something shiny. Yeah, I was just going. <laughs> Woo, no, it's because it was really noisy, and I was thinking you might it might pick up on my microphone. Um, it so might, just but if, it does, if people hear it, can... like they hear
0: it, there's a dog barking the whole way through my interview with Harriet Minner, and I don't even know it's her dog or a dog at my end. It was just me stood outside your front door. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would say that this series took a little bit longer than usual to warm up to. Agreed. But I think that's because there's been a longer gap between series because of COVID and lockdown and filming being halted. And also because of the jump that we've seen within the series, because Nicola Walker's character, Cassie's had to have some time off because she's not, mm. she's not well, but. As, as ever with Unforgotten. It's a really slow burn, and I have utter respect for how slowly they play things out, and it's well worth your time. I'd also say that by series four, it does have a formula. I can predict when they're going to find bits that are extra clues, mm. like the end of episode one, we'll always get the name of the victim. By yeah. the end of episode three, we've found uh, the cause of death. And it, it does have a formula, but that doesn't take anything away from it for me. I find
0: it quite comforting. And yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. The last two episodes always have a huge amount to get through because there's still so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know, not just about how the death actually happened, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but there's other stuff. There's other stuff that Andy Nyman's been doing that's illegal. What's that? We don't know what that is. We don't really know what the background story with his family is either. There's loads of other threats. What's Sheila Hancock's problem? She's fucking horrible. Or is she? Who knows? But all of that needs to come out in the wash as well.
1: They are uh, her and Susan Lynch's character, Liz Bailden, who is high up in the police, which I think it's really interesting, the timing of it as well, where the police are having to investigate their own. That's all I'm going to say on that. In the fair city of Cambridge as well. Yeah, and also Buxton, where I used to live. So it is quite like, oh, hello, I know that. That place that they were in that had a bath in it, that used to be a nightclub. (laughs) I fell down the stairs there once. Mm. (laughs) Fun fact. But yeah, Liz Bailden and her mum, which is Susan Lynch and Sheila Hancock, respectively, totally reminded me of the Edies. I don't know who's (laughs) abusing who in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's a Grey
0: Gardens vibe
1: also I can't it's not really relevant to the plot but I've got to point out that Andy Andy Nyman as Dean Barton sounds exactly like Matt Holness as Garth Marenghi and I'm finding it a little bit disconcerting
0: yeah Um, Yeah.
2: can I to say that I actually and I think this is again the difference between not having seen the first two series I found the third series I think I said this on this very podcast when we talked about it I found the third series took a little bit of time to get into whereas this one I haven't found it's taken so long to get into and I think that's just because I maybe wasn't used to the format and the characters and whatever and maybe that's just because it's I don't know maybe it's too much the same or too different for you guys from the first two series i don't know i just i I just wonder what if there's something in that basically about having seen them all and not seen i think it's because i had this conversation with my brother because he
0: said he also had a harder not i'm not enjoying this but in a i I don't feel quite so gripped as i did early with Mm. the other ones and i think it's something to do with not liking change in, in as much as there's when you go into this you, mm. you, she's not even in the she's she's not even working for the police at that point she's still off sick so it yeah. is unfamiliar so it's like when you go into the second series of the wire and you're like what who's this but i think it's because there's a general sense of malaise in it i just feel like there's loads of things here that could, could go really really badly wrong for her um i can't talk about unforgotten without once
1: again saying it has one of the most beautiful theme tunes it's so gorgeous that theme tune i love it once that kicks in i'm like okay i know where i am now and it feels really comforting actually to be back with cassie and sunny even if their vibe isn't
0: the same as it used to be yeah great okay so let's also talk about something that we have talked about before but nonetheless, a couple of people have actually got in touch with me to say, can you point me to which podcast you actually talked about this? And since I can't, it might be easier for me if we just talk about it again because it's topical, which is the terror, which finally, finally, two years after I first told everyone they should watch it, has finally come on the telly. And I've had loads of text messages for people saying... Oh, well done for telling me to watch this. This is amazing. Um, I'd
1: also like to take some credit. And please send me, I don't know, money, cake, biscuits in thanks in that I actually purchased it on like the internet so I could watch it like properly. Sorry, Nick. Purchased yeah. it. And that meant that like literally a month and a half later, it's yeah, free no. on the television. So you're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. Jen, have you watched it yet? No, not yet. What
0: it's... the fuck are you playing at? It's free Still now. Mickey's writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> she is writing a book. I'm and raising a child. Currently on the BBC, see it on the iPlayer, 10 episodes of the first series of The Terror, which is an anthology series. There have been two series so far in America. I haven't actually seen the second one because there was nowhere available to watch the second one. And to be honest, I like that. I paid for the first one. I liked it so much. I just watched that one again because it's so great. Set in the 1840s and based on the book by Dan Simmons, which is a hypothetical answer to the question what happened to the HMS terror and the HMS Erebus when they disappeared while looking for the Northwest Passage. It has a supernatural angle but that in itself only plays quite a small part in it. I actually feel that the best bits of the terror are when the threat is all so human be that hunger or anger or self-preservation or alcoholism all of the the just general pressures that start to bear down on these men that will have repercussions for them that they will have to live with either physically or morally and it's totally and utterly brilliant
1: it is grown-up lord of the flies on ice with added creature feature
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, it's just beautifully made. It's beautifully made. It looks incredible. I talked to Halle Rubenhold about it for Christmas. There's also a big fan who says that it is enormously historically accurate as well. And because of all of that stuff, it brings a supernatural element into it. And you go, yeah, that might have happened. It's got some incredibly solid performances from people you would expect solid performances for, like Jared Harris and Ian Hart, Kieran Hind Tobias Menzies, just... I mean I fucking love Ian Hart just people doing great stuff but he's also got some kind of unexpected really now maybe not unexpected but less famous people doing incredible things as well including Paul Reedy who's best known oh, for Motherland he's
1: astonishing in it being he's Dr. so good Goodster,
0: who's incredible yeah. in it and Adam Negatis, who is like usually works for Sally Wainwright and has to at some point be famous because he is so fucking good in the terror He he almost encompasses the name he is so good in it yeah it is excellent i
1: mean it's worth saying because we're standard issue but there's like there's like three women in it and they're not in it very much it's very much but it's very much male dominated and it's fine because that was the time and that's what you know it's lord of the flies it is all about toxic masculinity plays a lot of its part in this
0: i still think the most i don't know how much of it's been on the telly but i still think one of the most distressing things that happens in it is in the episode called Punished Like a Boy, which is has no supernatural elements in it at all. And it's about how, do you know what? When we did talk about it, I think I said it was about Rob sodomy and the Lash. And that is basically, mm. it's just a horrible episode. Horrible stuff happens in it. It's, I can't believe I'm going to say it's totally brilliant, <laughs> but it's horrible and totally brilliant at the same time. Jen.
2: Can I ask a question please? Yes. Um, yes. Before I commit to starting watching this i saw a thing when i downloaded it and it said it contains some upsetting scenes Mm. um i wanted to know on the basis of your description a how scary is it supernatural it's unsettling rather than Mm. scary
1: i know how much supernatural a lot and she's she is accurate it is supernatural
2: but i'd say it's more creature feature than ghosties is it the kind of unsettling that stays (sighs) with you Or can you, like, shake it
1: off? I'm not great with horror stuff. And, you know, Hannah used to be scared of the Castrol GTX advert, which is one of my favourite facts ever. And it didn't didn't give me sleepless nights or anything. It will make you think, but I don't think it'll scare you. And how upsetting is it? There's some gory bits. There are some gory bits. But given what I know you've watched recently, I think you'll be fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There is a part in which... Adam Negatus' ass ends up looking like Adam Negatus' face from Chernobyl. And that's probably the worst thing that happens in it from that point of view, to be honest. Oh, I think what... Um, oh, actually, what happens to Ian Hart's pretty grim as well. Paul Reedy.
2: Yeah. Is this, is this the uh, rum sodomy and specifically the lush? No, that's what, <laughs> that's, that's that's what happens to Adam Negatus. Um, yeah. But
0: yeah. Anthony Flanagan's terrific in it. Anthony Flanagan. I know we shouldn't do this, but it happens to women all the time. Anthony Flanagan... Probably most famous as Rebecca Staten's husband. Um and from actually I'd loads, say I'd loads say of other good most stuff, famous shameless. shameless. Most yeah. famous from shameless, also appropriate adult, he's really great in that. He's terrific in this. So many, so many good British character actors doing great work in this. I tell you what, Jen, it made me really glad I wasn't a man in the past. <laughs> really, really glad.
2: Cool. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so should we take a break and then come back and we can talk about some other bits and pieces, including Your Honour and Blitz Spirit and also some stuff that Jen has been watching. Um, it's
2: not on ITV, guys. It's not on ITV. <laughs>
0: So, welcome back, part two, we're over to Sky, where Mickey and I, but predominantly Mickey, has been watching new Brian Cranston drama, Breaking Bad Mark II, I've seen it be called. Your Honour, Mickey, off you go. I was going to say that this ten-part
1: crime series is a Brian Cranston vehicle, but even though it's true, that would seem a terrible pun, given the plot, which is, Brian Cranston is Judge Michael Desiato, uh, Your Honour with Honour. Keen to use his considerable powers for good when it comes to looking after the people in his courts. That is until his asthmatic son Adam, a 17 year old with all the charisma of a dried out bath sponge played by Hunter Dewan, is distracted while driving because he can't reach his inhaler. Instead of pulling over, he ploughs on and straight into another 17 year old, this time on a motorbike. Attempting to call for an ambulance, Adam has a massive asthma attack, and by the time he's found his inhaler, it's too late. The other boy dies panicked Adam Scarpers so he does a hit and run he comes clean to his dad who takes him to the police station to confess only to discover the kid Adam has killed is Rocco youngest son of local mafia boss wee Jimmy Nesbitt sorry that is Jimmy Baxter played Mm. by Michael Stuhlbarg who is clearly going for Tony Soprano but is mostly about as menacing as AJ still he is bound to want a son for a son and so Judge Desiato's cover-up of his son's crime begins It it does not go smoothly. I think it's actually a really interesting and promising premise. How far would a parent go to protect their kid? But as far as your honours tackling of this goes, it's it's all right. I mean, Cranston is excellent, which shouldn't be surprising because one, he's clearly a great actor. And two, this role is basically Walter White-Light. A good man gets caught in a spiral of doing bad things for what he thinks are the right reasons, finds he's got quite the aptitude for it. There are also some really good meaty roles for women delivered with gusto and talent. See Amy Landecker as Detective Nancy Costello and Andreen Ward-Hammond having a lot of fun as gang leader Big Mo. On the flip side, we've got a criminally underused Margot Martindale, but then again, it is always just good to see her. Lamar Johnson, as the Desire Gang stooge Kofi Jones, is also brilliant, as is Benjamin Flores Jr. as his little brother Eugene. Oh, and we've also got Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Jeez. Being great as a rerun of... <laughs> He's being great as a rerun of Senator Clay Davis in The Wire, but this time not corrupt. Well, not quite as corrupt. There's a huge flaw in this for me, and it is the character of Adam, who is just dreadful. He is a personality vacuum, a milksop. He consistently makes terrible decisions, all of which makes it a mystery as to why not one, but two women find him irresistible and everyone thinks he's some sort of adorable wonder kid. And finally, I'm not going to spoiler it, but the ending is maddeningly neat, maddeningly so. And I found the whole series frustrating because it is nowhere near as
0: good as it should be. Okay, I watched one episode of this. Obviously, love Brian Cranston, and he's great in it. Conversely, from what you've just said, I also think Michael Stahlberg is just tremendous. He is such a great actor. I, I, he's barely been in it from what I've seen of one episode, but he played Arnold Rothstein in Boardwalk Empire, and it's one of the best roles I think on telly. Actually, if you're going to sit and write a list of it, he's incredible. So I disappointed to hear that. I thought. From the premise, I thought that's quite interesting because I wonder if this is something that's going to say something about today, about sort of the concept of helicopter parenting. Briefly go back to Unforgotten. In the third series of Unforgotten, the denouement of the plot involving one of the characters is that he and he actually says these words in attempting to protect my son from the repercussions of his actions. I fucked up his whole life. Mm -hmm. which says something about, you know, parenting, modern parenting. So I I thought this might be quite interesting. But then obviously Brian Cranston's first reaction isn't to protect his son. It's to hand his son in, which I feel like then it's not really saying anything about any of those things, really. It's saying something about something else. It's more of a thriller than a social drama in that sense. And I thought it might be interesting. This is just what I've gained from one episode.
1: I've got to say, just to say, the first episode is really good and it's really slow. That unravelling of what happens with Adam and Rocco when mm. he hits him, that whole build-up is incredible. And it's actually the first episode is written by Peter Moffat, who is... He's oh, he's sort terrific, Peter Moffat. He's behind the whole thing, but that is the one episode he's written and it's excellent. And then it just does not live up to that promise.
0: Well, I made the decision that I wasn't going to watch any more of it. And I think it's maybe something to do with, I would say it's something to do with lockdown, but I had the same reaction that I actually had to The Night Of, which is the HBO drama starring Riz Ahmed as a guy who may or may not be setting up, being set up for a murder. Is that the gut reaction I had to it was, well, this looks like it's going to be really good, but it also looks like it's going to win really badly. And I don't know that I've got in it, me, 10 hours of worrying and watching and feeling upset about something looming terror. And although that sounds ridiculous, because going back to the terror, right? But I actually knew that before it started. I knew those boats disappeared. Do you know what I mean? I knew it wasn't going to win well. It was only going to win degrees of well. Mm-hmm. So I think I might jump ship. There you there go, Pardon. I might jump ship on, or jump opposite. car, jump car wreck on that. If you're saying that it's not even good enough for me to have that feeling in my belly for 10 hours.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean, it is really tense, but I also think if they'd done it in six episodes, I might have a different opinion, but it's very dragged out. And while that works for the first episode when they're setting up what's happened, it doesn't, and it just feels like it. it falls into so many cliches like The Wire, The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and they've all been made, I don't think they need to be remade. Mm. I also I also think it's trying to say something key about racism, it's set in New Orleans, which is a divided city, and the white inhabitants have a lot more and get away with a lot more than its black inhabitants, and it, you know, Brian Cranston's character is very much set up as someone who is trying to fight that, but because of what's happened with mm. his son, he ends up Absolutely feeding into that narrative, and I think actually the show misses the mark. Not because of that, but mostly because it's got this narrative that all of its black characters run with a gang, and I just don't feel like it's doing justice to what it's trying to do. And I don't
0: think it hits the target it set itself. I mean, I was curious about how how uh, New Orleans would play into it because obviously, in many ways, it kind of needed to be set in New Orleans because I can't imagine any other city. In which that incident could have happened, and nobody would have been around to say it, I mean it needed to be in the lower night, didn't it? It needed to be in an abandoned city yeah eventually. it's mad
1: how there are no people around, and they yeah. keep going back to that area and there's never anyone around it but there's is... no
0: there is no one around in the mm. lower night
1: yeah i mean I it think... was just dis-
0: it was destroyed by Katrina there's, and Katrina
1: the... gets mentioned, and it's like the the distrust that New Orleans inhabitants have of the police because of the way they acted in katrina it's It's interesting it's not bad it's just it's frustrating because it should be really really good and it's only all right and I felt disappointed particularly when and there are some stellar performances in there like Cranston is exemplary
0: he's brilliant but it feels wasted right thank you Mick we've got some documentaries to talk about so I'm going to start with Jen because you haven't said much Jen You've sat, waited patiently, so tell me about the documentaries you've been watching.
2: Jen's been watching The Helicopter. So I watched two documentaries in two days, which were both, because I am a fun person, they were both about suicide. The first one I watched was Roman Kemp, Our Silent Emergency. And the second one I watched last night, as we record this on Thursday, was The Life and Death of Caroline Flack. So I'm going to start with the latter, which was made by Charlie Russell and Dov Friedman. And it was supposed to, I read this morning, they were supposed to make a documentary with Flack about the media storm around her arrest for assaulting her boyfriend. For people who maybe didn't pay too much attention to it when it was in the news last year, Caroline Flack was uh, a... TV presenter, um, most famously for Love Island towards the end of her life. And then she was arrested at the end of 2019 for allegedly assaulting her boyfriend. Everything unraveled pretty quickly. She got a very hard time by the media, a very hard time by the public. And she took her own life in February last year. So a year after her death, this documentary has been made. Um, It was supposed to be about the media storm that came after her arrest and it it was supposed to have been done, been made with Caroline, but obviously then she took her own life and, and that wasn't possible. So this is kind of more like, I saw it described this morning and I think it's probably a fairly accurate description, more like a kind of eulogy in a way and it's made with the collaboration of her friends and family. So her mum and her twin sister Jodie speak about her life quite extensively in this along with friends like Dermot o'leary ollie merz who she worked with um and some some other friends who are perhaps a bit less well known i'm gonna be sort of careful what i say about it because it did tackle it was quite there were quite a lot of revelations about caroline flack the person and the things that she had been through in her life, the struggle she had had with her mental health over the years, and then it did talk a little bit about the the way that had been exacerbated by social media and the media, I guess, newspapers, etc., and newspaper coverage of her, which was fucking brutal, to be honest. Like I, you know, you, you I sort of remembered it being brutal at the time because it was only a year ago that, that she died, but it. Yeah, it really was brutal. And also the stuff on social media was brutal as well. And so I you know, I wrote about this at the time as well. We talked about it on the podcast and how maddening it is for this whole like hashtag be kind rhetoric when when so much of the stuff that was thrown at her was by the public on Twitter. And it talked about what a hard time she personally had with that and, and how that affected her. And it, it yeah, so it did touch on that but it wasn't really I don't think it focused on that enough in my, like, from my perspective. Most of it was kind of more about her relationship, I guess, with her family and, and things like that. And and I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't really watch the TV that Caroline Flack made, so I wouldn't describe myself as a fan. I would say I was sort of fairly ambivalent. I had no feelings one way or another. And... Yeah, I kind of, I sort of want to be careful about what I say. I found it hard to see what the, I was kind of left wondering what the point of it was. Mm. I wasn't really sure what it was trying to do other than kind of just sort of talk about her. Maybe the point was that you never really know what's going on in someone's life. You know, maybe that was the point that, that, you know, be kind or or whatever, because you don't know what things people are, are dealing with behind the scenes Maybe the point of it was for people who were her fans to watch it and sort of celebrate her life a bit more. Maybe the point was for her friends and family to kind of have their say and and remember her a bit. And at the end, Oli Merz says that it was nice to remember her as the person as well, which is something that also I can relate to talking about my brother, for example. It is nice to remember someone who died in tragic circumstances. It's nice to actually reflect on the good things about their life as well and remember Mm -hmm. them in that way, too. But yeah, I, I found it, it was missing something for me personally. But Did it, it I think feel if you, intrusive? I felt that, yes, it did a little bit. and And it's not really, I kind of feel like it's not for me to have an opinion on that because it's very much up to her family what they want to put into the public domain about her. But I felt that the description of her until right towards the end when you it sort of becomes it sort of made explicitly clear that actually she was quite depressed for quite a lot of her life. Mm-hmm. Um I felt that um it came across a bit like kind of mad single woman trope. And and I I want to be really I feel like I haven't expressed that in a very sympathetic way, which I don't mean to because obviously her, the the grief of her family is incredibly raw like incredibly raw and I think it's up to them what they put into the public domain about her but I, I kind of felt that it 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 wasn't done that well for me can I just say Jen it's their
0: choice to put it into the public domain but they will have known that it was then other people's choice to have an opinion on it so you are of entitled to that's, have an opinion on that's
1: it. it and it feels like well, I've seen it advertised and we Talked about this off air when Jen had said she was going to watch it. And every time it got advertised, I was like, here's a woman who the weight of public opinion has certainly had some aspects of involvement in her taking her own life. And they're just delivering stuff that people are going to have more opinion on. And like, I I just
2: don't, it didn't sit well with me, but with the caveat, I haven't watched it. I wonder if it turned out the way that they hoped it would turn out. The other one that I watched, the 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 documentary I watched before that one, Roman Kemp, Our Silent Emergency. Um, so that is Roman Kemp, who is the famously son of Martin Kemp and Shirley of Pepsi and Shirley fame, but also, uh, you know, a broadcaster in his own right. He does The Breakfast Show on, I'm going to say Capital FM, but he was on I'm a Celebrity, I think, maybe last year or the year before as well. He's obviously quite well-known. He's quite popular with the youth. And it was made about Thanks. his friend and radio producer, Joe Lyons, who took his own life last year. Now, it's aimed at a slightly younger crowd because it's, a well, I think, it's a BBC3 production and uh, it's made by Josh Allett. And it's basically about, you know, the, I don't know what you would call it, the, the epidemic or, you know, ever pressing issue of male suicide basically and I think the point that he is at great pains to make is that his friend Joe was a real kind of Jack the Lad and no one at all saw it coming it was you Mm. know and that he you know he says in it that he lived three minutes away from him and it would have taken him three minutes to get to his house if he'd known how he was feeling and he didn't contact him and, and you know of course that's The tragedy so it's kind of about him coming to terms with it it's about him talking to other young men around the country about what's going on with them but also I thought it was I kind of thought with no disrespect to BBC Three documentaries but I kind of thought it would be like a bit sort of fluffy and it was so much bolder and braver than I had imagined it would be you know he talks about his own mental health as it transpires He's been taking antidepressants, Roman Kemp this is, since he was 15 years old. And you see him actually taking the antidepressants on camera. He talks about an episode that he had last year where he felt very down and his mum had to sort of come and and be with him. And and, and he admits to his mum on camera that at that time he thought about taking his own life himself. And I think also the thing about Roman Kemp is he is a bit of a kind of like laddie character, and so I think it will be enormously powerful for a lot of young people to see the struggles that he's had as well. And I thought it was really, really, really bold and brave of him to, to put it out there like that. I, I think they should show it in schools. I thought it was really good. And I, I think if you're going to watch one of the two, to be honest, I found it, um, I found it very hard to watch. And it left me feeling quite um, weird for the whole of the next day. But I think if you can stomach it, you should watch it and then you should ask your friends how they are.
0: Well said, Jen. I'm not going to disagree with you on anything you said there, except for the fact that actually BBC Three does make good documentaries. Stacey Dooley makes great documentaries for BBC Three. Then it's not for us. Therefore, Yeah. No, no. Fair kids. enough. Yeah. But, yeah. In fact,
2: one of my best friends has edited a documentary for BBC Three, which was very good uh, yeah. about life on death row or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah.
1: But I think I mean it's still an interesting point that you made because I think stuff that has been made about suicide before it needs to be bold for the message to hit home, and too often we dance around the edges of stuff, or they dance around the edges of stuff when actually you want people to come away feeling uncomfortable and obviously for you it's like hugely emotive more emotive than for me or for Hannah for instance because of what's happened in your own Mm. life but you want people to come away going fucking hell this isn't right we need to do something about it Mm. and that takes the kind of boldness you've just described
2: really and he had like he also has like a brilliant chat with his dad and his family like when he goes he goes back to his his parents house and he has this brilliant chat with his dad who's like yeah or, you know I had um, it's quite well known had a brain tumor which had to be operated on and he talks about how down he was after after he'd had that surgery and and you know what he went through which I also thought was like really powerful you know maybe some young men will see that think, and think and go and have a chat with their dads and, and see what they've been through as well so yeah I just I just thought it was really really well done. Great. One
0: more documentary to go, which is one that Mick and I have watched, which is... Sort of
1: two more documentaries.
0: One, possibly two more (laughs) documentaries to go. We're going to start with one that Mickey and I have watched, which is currently available on the iPlayer. I had a little check this morning to see how long it's available for. It's actually available for another 11 months. But please don't wait another 11 months to watch it because it is terrific, which is Lucy Worsley's Blitz Spirit. I interviewed Lucy about it. You can go back and you can listen to that. I said in that that it was really good, but Mickey now has also watched it, so I see no reason not to review it. It's an hour and a half long. It is about the Blitz in London specifically. Obviously, the Blitz happened, uh, or different Blitzes, however you want to look at it, happened all over the country. And the idea that the Blitz spirit, something that we are constantly quoting or calling on or referencing... Is that actually a thing that exists or was it fabricated by the government in an attempt to bring America into the war and let Germany think that the bombing raids weren't actually working? It has two main strands. The first strand is Lucy Worsley just terribly enthusiastically leaping around London telling us facts, 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 facts about the war. And the sort of second part of it, it, it's very much like the Suffragette series she did in, in that sense. The second part is actors reading from six diaries of people who volunteered to be on the front line in the home front. And that, to be honest, is where it packs its major punch and pulls no punches at all. It contains a couple of anecdotes that were just horrific and possibly will stay with me forever. They yeah. were so awful, so genuinely terrible. And also, it, as as ever with Lucy Wars, it contains a really nice spread of people. It's three men, three women, across classes, races, different ages, different social backgrounds, doing different jobs. And the end result was largely the same for all of them, was that it was really fucking brutal and they had a really hard time but the triumph of the human spirit et etc cetera, et cetera, or maybe just the attitude that you just got to get your head down and get on with it quite extraordinary stories i thought
1: yeah no. i think it's it's very good at showing that stoicism isn't necessarily a choice yes. sometimes it's like okay it's excellent it it made me cry quite a lot and i think one because of we learn so much about the facts and figures about war we learn it like the second world war in history like at school we'll have all have been taught about it but I actually think showing kids something like this actually brings home what war truly means and would give more of an understanding when we look at wars happening in other countries to know what those people are living through because it is that it's that on the groundness of it's why world war one poetry appealed to me and I, I found it brought me into contact with those people and made me think about it properly because it's it's their point of view and they brilliantly bring that to light and it's fucking horrible. Like you just need the, the bombardment that goes on day after day after day for these people in the East End. The fact that the government banned the newspapers from reporting anything about it for a month after these bombings were happening. They weren't allowed to talk about it. They were cropping photos so things didn't look as bad as they were and telling the rest of the country that we've got this. We, you know, come on, morale's going to get us through this. And it's so timely as well, given what the government are telling us now. Mm. It really brought home to me that as much as I think there's an absolute sewer in charge, the advent of 24-hour news, the advent of social media means they cannot be accountable. Mm. They cannot not be accountable, sorry, in that we're going to find out those figures. In the war, no one knew how many people were dying. The East End was on its knees and no one knew about it. And that is just... Horrific. And I think it's made palatable by <laughs> enthusiastic uh, grown-up brownie, I think Hannah described it to me, mm-hmm. Lucy Worsley, and she just she's just this steadfast figure throwing facts at you, and the emotion comes from the diaries and from the people involved, rather than someone trying to manipulate it. And I, I just thought it was absolutely excellent. I recommended it to loads of people. My mum and her partner have watched it and thought it was brilliant. So yeah, it's 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 definitely worth a watch.
0: Okay, so you can find Blitz Spirit on the iPlayer. You should absolutely watch it, Mickey. You have something, but not a whole thing to tell us about. It is a whole thing. Is it a
1: documentary? It's sort of a documentary.
0: That's where the confusion lies.
1: It is sort of a documentary. It is a documentary. I'm going to keep it really brief. We've talked a lot about some pretty like big and depressing topics. and hooray. so I'm going to give you something light to, to finish on. And we're going to look at Pretend It's a City. And this is a delightful six-parter on Netflix, which finds professional misanthrope Fran Lebowitz explaining her reasons hilariously, eloquently for why she hates everyone and everything to Martin Scorsese while traipsing around New York. It absolutely lives and dies on whether you enjoy her company for these half-hour bursts, but I love her, and so I loved it, and I intend to watch it again. It is so funny, so funny. Also, I think the sights and sounds of New York are captured so perfectly, but in a way that makes you feel like you are there rather than feeling frustrated that you can't be there. Mm-hmm. So it felt really nice to wander around an empty-ish New York City with Fran Leibovitz just fucking
0: hating everything. It's... <laughs> It's so entertaining. I did actually watch the first one after you told me twice to watch mm-hmm. it. I watched one of them last night, but I only had time to watch one of them. And I concur that she is incredibly good company. But I mean, she just, she just generally is. I mean, she's a writer that's had writer's block for 40 years. She is a misanthrope. She's one of the few people in life who campaigns for rights for smokers. <laughs> I fucking love her. She's incredible. She's just like a professional contrarian almost. And, people think contrarian is a bad thing and i actually think it's quite a good thing sometimes. she really
1: reminds me of gory's the doubtful guest which is just this character in a massive trench coat and converse trainers and a big scarf that just wanders around causing mischief and i'm just like yeah that's van libovitz love it
0: yeah great okay so things that are coming up But I don't have dates for because everyone seems to be being quite cagey about what the dates of things are at the moment. Still no date on Fargo season four, but it is on in America. So I'm guessing that we will get it soon. Line of Duty is coming very soon. We will be reviewing that next time. We know that we will be able to review that next time. And also, as predicted, Series 2 of Lupin is sitting in the section of Netflix labelled coming soon don't want to miss this but has no particular date on it mickey one final thing to add on that note i watched the french film untouchable untouchable the i don't
1: know sounded like you wanted me to burst out my french accent there (laughs) please Um, do (laughs) which is
0: i think france's most internationally financially successful film about a billionaire who takes on a former con to be his carer and about the friendship that blossoms between them, which isn't necessarily my kind of film, I have to say. I can see why it's that feel-good thing. It explains why it's France's most famous film. But Omar Sy is so amazing in it that you should seek it out because he is just terrific in it like just absolute dynamite
1: he's so good he just he just steals every scene he's in he just fills the screen he's incredible
0: yeah he has enormous charisma in fact in untouchable someone says that he reminds them of barack obama which i assume is not a statement of oh that's because you're black it's because you just have an enormous amount of charisma and you look great in a suit (laughs)
2: yeah is this lupin himself Lupin. Yes, it is Lupin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, Mickey. Um, So that's all coming up soon, except Untouchable, which you can see for free on Amazon if you have it. And it's a film and shouldn't even be in this section. I thank you. Good night. (laughs) Outside the box.